John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Welcome to War of the Rebellion, Stories of the Civil War I am your host, Leon, and this is a reading of the regimental history under the Maltese Cross, Antietam to Appomattox, the Loyal Uprising in Western Pennsylvania, 1861-1865, Campaign's 155th Pennsylvania Regiment, narrated by the Rank and File. Memories of Appomattox By Captain George M. Loughlin, Brevet Major during the final campaign of the Army of the Potomac, after the victory of Five Forks, and in the pursuit of General Lee's forces from Petersburg to Appomattox, the writer was serving as aide-de-camp on the staff of General Charles Griffin, who had been placed in command of the Fifth Army Corps during the progress of the Battle of Five Forks. The pursuit of Lee during its whole progress was incessant and dogged, entailing long, weary marches beginning early in the morning, and lasting long into the night, with constant expectancy of battle, and at times anxious periods of isolation, as at Jetersville, where for twenty-four hours the Fifth Corps was alone, standing sentinel before Lee's army, blocking his way south from Amelia Courthouse and compelling his course still on to the west. Never, perhaps, in any army or campaign did troops perform such feats of rapid and persistent marches, and display such enduring stamina, as did the foot soldiers of the Fifth Corps in following closely the cavalry of Sheridan in the flank movements of those last days, always standing in the way of Lee's escape south, and finally bringing up with the cavalry between the Confederate columns and the position of their last stand and their promised supply trains at Appomattox. Hard and wearing as these days and nights were, there was yet that pleasurable and sustaining excitement always present in all the ranks, incident to the consciousness of successful accomplishment. Cut off most of the time from immediate contact with other parts of the Grand Army, with only occasional glimpses of converging columns, and the sound of guns in hostile contact with rear guards and forlorn hopes of the fleeing enemy, yet, as with veteran soldiers always, with instincts quick to read battle signs, Clouds in the sky, ever-advancing guns, these valiant men of the Fifth Corps plodded on, ever doggedly on, with hungry and determined and confident hearts, as the hound follows the scent growing warmer, and with the vision before them of the last ditch, the end of that long three years of clash and recoil, of stroke and counterstroke, with this same kindred foe now to be brought to bay." Panorama Before Surrender Even if they, Fifth Army Corps, had not through four long years of almost constant hardship and battle, of devoted service, filled with brilliant deeds proved its discipline, its devotion and undaunted heroism, these marches, this fight against nature's limitations, would have made its history glorious. For the end of its accomplishment was the beginning of peace, and of this corps, 
the 155th Regiment of Pennsylvania Volunteers, was an important part. I am sure that all those still living of that devoted regiment will recall those days of pursuit with enthusiasm, and remember that last day's jog trot far into the night of April 8, 1865, when the tired troops were permitted to fall down to coveted sleep, only to be called to march again after two hours, in response to Sheridan's appeal for aid of infantry, he having with his cavalry brought Lee's army to stand on their only line of escape, and of the hurried march in the early hours of that historic morning of April 9, 1865, spurred on by the sound of the cavalry in contact with Lee's advance, until the column was halted behind the hills commanding Appomattox. General Griffin, with his staff and escort, immediately rode forward to the hilltops to reconnoiter, and what a panorama was disclosed on that fair Sunday morning under a brilliant rising sun, the, quote, son of Austerlitz, unquote, for us, in front of a gradually declining slope, carpeted on that spring day, as with green velvet, of wide expanse on the right, the open ground reaching to the town, the courthouse rising in the center, about 1,000 yards in front of a road, entering the main street of the village and behind the fences, the Confederate line was posted in advance of their main body. In the effort to drive back Sheridan's troopers, as the situation came into view, instantly with the quick eye of the old artillery commander, General Griffin realized the strength of that position and ordered batteries to the front and into position, and the troops forward. Soon the battle lines were formed, and the skirmishers started the advance down the slope, and as the cavalry retired to right and left, became engaged with the rebel lines. Under this fire, our skirmish line hesitated along the banks of a brook at the base of the hill, and General Griffin directed the rider to go forward and push the line across. And while thus engaged, another staff officer rode up with orders to stop firing, as a flag of truce had come in. This was accomplished with difficulty, for as soon as the fire on one part of the line was stopped, rebel shots evoked retaliation. Before the advance was stopped by the truce, the battle lines had moved forward, and when halted, were in three lines across this wide expanse of hillside, clad in the fresh green of spring. And after announcement that a truce had been agreed upon, until General Grant should reach the front, the troops, as they stood in lines of battle, were ordered to stack their arms and remain in position. Glory of Gettysburg and Appomattox the spectacle presented on that bright spring morning was one never to be forgotten, and whether looking from the summit of the highland around Appomattox or from the village itself, it was of surpassing beauty and grandeur. The 155th Regiment, as part of the 5th Army Corps, was indeed fortunate in having been permitted, from vantage positions, to look on two of the most decisive and most inspiring scenes of the War of the Rebellion and perhaps the most spectacular of any in the history of wars, Gettysburg, from the summit of Little Round Top, and the military pageant presented at the moment of the truce at Appomattox, the troops of the Corps not yet fully deployed in deep lines, stretching around a vast amphitheater under a bright sun on a carpet of fresh green, and looking over a quiet and apparently untenanted town, and on the lower land beyond, 
the enemy brought to bay, with their foes before them and behind them. And then, what one who was there can forget the emotions inspired, the consciousness that the end was accomplished, and that he had a part in the glory of it? General Griffin and staff fired on after flag of truce. After the firing along the lines had been stopped, and the truce was in force, General Griffin with his staff and escort started from his lines to enter the town, and as the cavalcade approached the entrance of the main street, the temptation was too great to be resisted by the rebel skirmishers to pot this flock of Yankees, and a volley sent whistling bullets through the mass, fortunately with casualties only to horses, but the effect was ludicrous looking back on the incident. However serious it might have seemed at the time, for everybody in the posse, save the general, whose dignity had to be maintained, was moved by the same consideration, that it was not the part of prudence to run undue risk of being killed after the war was over. So there was an impetuous charge for the shelter of the barns and outbuildings of the town. This fusillade quelled. The general with his retinue, proceeded on through the town to the courthouse, an old and dignified building with ample grounds enclosed by an iron fence set on stone base. Here the party halted and dismounted, soon being joined by other generals of both armies. And this scene was unique, and furnished a commentary on the character of the war, a war of brother against brother, friend against friend, for here were gathered commanders of troops who, but an hour before were in hostile conflict, sitting along the stone fence recalling memories of their boyhood at West Point, or of their service on the frontier plains, without rancor, but seeming as though they had casually met again after long absence. Grant and Lee Meet On the arrival of General Grant and General Lee, they proceeded to the McLean house on the main street, just within the village, where soon gathered a large array of general officers from both the armies, and of all arms, and while the momentous conference was being held within, on the broad porch across the front of the house, and over the wide lawn without, an imposing concourse of generals with their staffs were met, commanders on many heroic fields, and heroes of many brilliant deeds men whose names will live in history forever, as leading actors in the events of the most momentous conflict of all history, and they seemed met here as guests one of the other, rather than as enemies, and talking together of everything else than of the deadly business they had but just now been in. The conference between the two great commanders over, they appeared on the porch and descended the long steps together, General Grant escorting General Lee across the lawn to his horse, which was being held by an orderly, the two central figures engaged in a dignified and courteous parting. What a glorious moment it was to the armies of the Union, and how full of proud memories it has been to those of us who were permitted to be partakers in this grand climax of the Civil War. Note on December 7, 1908, Major George M. Loughlin, the author of the foregoing article, died. He was deeply interested in the work of this history, and had served as treasurer 
of the Regimental Association for seven years prior to his death. And that is the end of today's episode. I know it's a little short, but I've got something special for the next one, so this one's just got to be a little bit shorter than normal. Sorry. Of course, the article written by Captain George M. Loughlin, Brevet Major, in his Memories of Appomattox, it kind of gives us a really unique picture into the battle and that ending kind of conflict and how it came together. So, one of my favorites, it's one of the best reasons why getting the first-hand accounts is so important to be able to kind of picture everything together. The fact that he had such a commanding view of the surrender is pretty great. And also, I like that he mentioned that he's also like, wow, it's amazing that we're the main characters of this story. We're always here. And it's like, yeah, man. That's something I've wondered myself, why you guys always happen to be right where history needs you. So, pretty great. Very interesting. Loved his writing. It was incredible. There's multiple sentences he wrote that you could plaster on your wall and have people be like, oh, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, I know. It was written by an incredible person. So, all right. From those of us here at War of the Rebellion, Stories of the Civil War. I want to thank you all, everyone, for an amazing year. I wanted to hit 5,000 downloads this year, and we blew right past it. So thank every single one of you so much. I just can't imagine how far we've come. And I've got more planned. Um, I, I know I have to balance it all with my life and work and whatnot, but thank you for being along for the ride. It's greatly appreciated. And of course, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. And for those of you who did stick around to the very end, here is your present. Bye bye. As I sat at my window last evening, the letter man brought unto me a little gilt engine invitation, St. Francis come over to tea. I know Miss Foggy had sent it, so I went for an old friendship's sake. And the first thing she gave me to tackle was a slice of this Christmas cake. There was plums and prunes and cherries, citrons and cinnamon too. There was nutmegs and cloves and berries, the crust it was nailed on with glue. There was caraway seed in abundance. Twould build up a fine stomach ache. Twould kill the man twice after eating a slice of Miss Fogarty's Christmas cake. Mr. Brady, he wanted to taste it, but really there was no use. They rolled it around for an hour and couldn't get any of it loose till Fogarty went for a hatchet and really came in with a saw. That cake was enough by the powers to paralyze any man's jaw. There was plums and prunes and cherries, citrons and cinnamon too. 
nailed nutmegs and cloves and berries. The crust was nailed on with glue. There was caraway seed in abundance. Good build up a fine stomach cake. Good kill them and twice just eating a slice of Miss Fogarty's Christmas cake. Miss Fogarty, proud as a peacock, sat a winking and blinking away till she stepped over Dick Weston's brogans and spilled a whole pot of tea. Oh, so see to me you're not eating, try another slice for my sake. No thanks, Mrs. Fogarty, says I, but I'd like the receipt to that cake. There were plums and prunes and cherries, 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 citrons and cinnamon too. There were nutmegs and cloves and berries, the crust was nailed, was nailed, was nailed.